0: hello and welcome back to the afl europe podcast i'm your host joe taking the reins for the first time and for the first episode of 2022 on today's show we're joined by justin clark justin is a former afl footballer at the brisbane lions turned road scholar at oxford university here in the uk justin's the current coach of oxford university's women's afl team and recently led the team to great success at the start of their 2022 season, winning the Fitzpatrick Cup in Cardiff last month. Justin and I talk all things footy. We touch on his career, some highlights, some lowlights, and how he's finding life here in the UK, both footy-wise and otherwise. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Justin, welcome to One Kick Later. Um, Thanks for joining us here with AFL Europe for our first podcast of 2022. Uh, are you excited to be joining?
1: Absolutely. It's always good fun to be uh, involved with uh, footy in Europe.
0: I imagine. I imagine it's a, it's a great honour. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of honours, you are the current Oxford Uni women's AFL coach.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been a, been a pretty fantastic start of the season, really. Um, they quite strong before before I arrived. Uh, I believe winning the the summer summer league uh, and doing really well. So it's been a pretty easy transition into into the role, just sort of um, encouraging football development as much as possible and having a great time doing it, which I think it football over here, where it's, it's just as much about the social side of things as it is about the football side of things as well. So uh, it's been a lot of fun um, and awesome to see the development uh, in the playing
0: squad. And before we get into the Oxford team and what you've been doing with them so far this year, I think um, we need to introduce you a little bit because a lot of our, our, our listeners in Europe they know the pedigree of Oxford, Oxford but they may not know the pedigree of Justin Clark. Um, so Justin, what is your background uh, in, in footy?
1: Uh, in the school holidays in 20, 2011 I think um, I sort of played a game of Rezies for North Adelaide uh, and did it right. Uh, and from that game, sort of got some scouts interested. Uh, they sort of uh, became more and more curious about this draft age. Um, six foot five, looks kind of athletic, kind of can kick a ball. Yeah, kind of can kick a ball. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty quick from being very much not on, on, the, on the radar about field clubs to being, uh, yeah, in, in their process picked up in the rookie draft by the Lions. Uh, end of 2011, and then spent five years uh, with the Brisbane Lions playing 50 uh, odd senior games. Um, then finished up January 2016 with concussion.
0: And we know all about uh, your time with the Lions, or, or I do. I remember watching you um, when I was a little younger a few years back. You were rookie listed for quite some time in that first year before making yeah. the senior list in 2013. But once you did make the senior list, up until your retirement, you were a consistent uh, figure in that Lions backline, weren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I was because of my background, I was pretty undersized, um, and I guess I hadn't done a heap of pre-seasons, played cricket, cricket in the summer, footy in the winter, you know, living the dream. Um, and so I was really skinny when I first got to the Lions. Um, put on thirteen kilos and first five or six weeks uh, of training really struggled with um i guess maintaining that weight while still improving my aerobic fitness and and sort of balancing that development and also developing my my game knowledge and and craft as a as a backman which is so important um so that that craft development sort of took a year uh, i guess understanding the patterns of, of professional football and and how it all, all works and get this put together um, was pretty important, uh, which is where there was like a little bit of a delay.
0: And it's not uncommon to have a six foot five, 18 year old sort of come into an AFL side and be a little bit undersized and, and have to put that weight on. But um, I mean, you did because you, you, you played 56 senior games across essentially three or four seasons with the lions there. And, um, Talk to me a little bit about the career once it got going. Do you have any particular highlights of yours that stand out? I know you kicked one career goal. Um, one was career that goal, like?
1: yeah. Uh, that, that was a highlight. Uh, <laughs> quite a funny one. Um, where I think it was against Port Adelaide. I can't really remember the year. Um, Port Adelaide in at Adelaide Oval. Um, but it was uh, <laughs> quite funny because we were 70 points down at the time. Um, but w so my home club had made a bit of an effort to come and watch. My family were in the stands. You know, it was sort of like a home game in a way uh, for me. And Tom Cutler, who was my housemate at the time, big sweeping handball uh, out to the wing as I was running, running down the wing um, and bombed it from 60 and gave it a big old celebration, uh, which probably wasn't appropriate given that we were that far down. And all the boys thought it was, uh, you know, Bit ridiculous that I was celebrating that much, but when I think they realized that it was actually my first and only goal. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, a, that was a pretty cool moment, um, particularly being able to do it in Adelaide. Uh, yeah, I mean, Miracle on Grass was, was a big one, and then, um, yeah, I guess there was a highlight, low light uh, playing on the MCG for the first time. Uh, it was the first time that I'd actually been to the MCG and seen it. Um, so it was pretty cool to be able to you know, travel to the ground, see it, and then actually play on it. Uh, unfortunately, I did my AC, AC joint and needed a reconstruction um, after playing there, but pretty incredible to be able to play on the G.
0: I think, uh, I think you're entitled to do that, considering it's, it's <laughs> the first, first goal in AFL footy. And, and as you say, it was your only one. You never know how many you're going to get. So I think uh, certainly... I'd be power sliding and carrying on like a footballer. I think (laughs) if I, if I managed to put one through in the NFL, that's for sure. Now you did mention there briefly, the miracle on grass, which is a Mm -hmm. term that any Australian footy fan, you say that you know exactly what you're talking about, but for our European listeners who may not be privy to what the miracle on grass was, do you mind setting the scene for us? Tell us a little bit about what happened that day.
1: Uh, I set the scene. Um, so it was against Geelong, uh, 2013, I think. Yeah, Uh, 2013. Obviously, Lions had been struggling a bit for a while. um, Playing against a strong cat side, so we weren't really expected to win or do that well. And in the first half, we certainly didn't do that well. Um, Of note, it was also Ash McGrath's uh, 200th game. Um, So, you know, big milestone. We wanted to actually play well for him, as you always do, uh, but especially in, in milestone games. But unfortunately, we were what 50, 50 something, 54 points down. It was mid 50s, yeah. It was mid 50s. Anyway, we kicked a couple goals and started sort of thinking, you know, oh yeah, we can kick goals. That's that's an exciting thing. Then we kicked a few more and just steadily clawed back until uh, midway through the last quarter. We were you know, right in the fight of the game. Um, and it sort of just kept on building and building, and the crowd just started getting more and more hope. Um, we could actually get up and win, which is something that was incredible to be a part of because we'd had some pretty average performances and it was nice to be able to give the crowd something to really rise up and, um, become involved with. So, uh, yeah, it sort of progressed towards the end of the game, uh, to the point where Richie, um, then Rich kicks a goal from, from 60 to, to level the, level the scores, um, and then the two last two minutes were I think that was maybe just around the last two minute mark, um, or two minute mark left to go. Uh, but those two minutes is uh, worth a uh, worth a watch because um, there was such a such a climactic ending. Ended up with Ash McGrath, and to hundred, marking the ball. Soren goes, he goes back, calls a key cover and slots it um, from what, 50. It was huge, incredible. One of the best moments. It was such an incredible um feeling to ride that goal and the whole crowd was riding it all with us it was phenomenal
0: I can't even imagine what it must have been like uh in the in the dressing room excuse me after that match um particularly because I mean the insanity of it was out of this world because you were playing you say a good premiership side in Geelong they were sort of the premiership side and they were the number one side in the competition for years on either end of 2013. Um, And even today, they have still got, you know, Selwood still running around. They've still got some really quality players from that side. Um, And another thing I really like about that is you say Ash McGrath slotted the goal to win the game after the siren. It looked like such a mongrel kick off the boot. It looked like (laughs) for anyone's guess, the fairy tale was going to end right there and he'd sprayed it. And then it really was a miracle on grass because not only had so much gone wrong for Geelong in this last term and that last chain of events, as you say, go back and watch the final two minutes, you have to because so much just goes right for you guys and that chain, yeah. coast to coast, as you say, worked perfectly. And I love how it ended with Ash McGrath mongreling one off his boot that just skewed <laughs> out to the left or right and then going straight back in. I mean, it must have been incredible honestly. Yeah. So. Um,
1: uh i think there was a few defenders mill all wind up um, behind Ash so we could see see the kick um and sort of ride it home with him uh he's always he had i'm sure he still does but he's got a right to left kick um and sort of swings out and gives it the heave hoe when he really lets it go and it does shape from right to left so as soon as it left his boot i was pretty confident that it was going gonna come good because he can yeah <laughs> His kicks can look a little bit iffy um, from from the side. But if you are actually behind it, you go, oh yeah, no, he struck that pretty sweet and that'll swing nicely because he's got that nice, nice shape on it. Um yeah. it was, I think every you saw everyone just sort of lean to the left as, as they came off the boot, thinking, oh geez, it's gotta swing a bit, it's gotta do a lot. But yeah, I was pretty confident once sort of yeah, after the after he kicked it, it was pretty confident that it was going to come good, um, yeah, and Gabba was just rocking. Such an incredible stadium for the atmosphere, um, even with uh, what was half capacity, uh, and yeah, still just absolutely rocking.
0: I think at that point in time, no matter what Ash did, that that kick was going to go through because there was just too much. Riding on at the 200th game, the biggest <laughs> comeback ever. Just he, he couldn't miss it, would have been it wouldn't have done the fairy tale justice. So, no, yeah, it was. I think every footy fan, really, bar anyone going for Geelong, was quite happy to ride that one home.
1: <laughs> and then um, some Geelong supporters sort of begrudgingly, yeah, sort of yeah. Go, oh,
0: it was a good Quite one. <laughs> happy to get the Lions this one, you know, that, that I think they earned that. Um, yeah. no, but yeah, for any. European football fans who might be listening, essentially Ash McGrath to win the game, hit what's more or less a Ronaldinho knuckleball that went left to right and somehow managed to swing through the big sticks. Um, Now, moving on from the miracle of grass, and uh, miracle on grass, we touched on your first goal as well. You had quite a strong run of games once you hit that senior side. And then unfortunately, I think it was a pre-season game, maybe in 2015 or 2016, you had a quite horrible concussion which essentially ruled you out not only of that season but of AFL and contact sports altogether from that point onwards so from the highs of being an AFL footballer and having you know really piecing together a strong little career for it all to be taken away with a concussion like that what was that experience like and how did you rebound from that
1: yeah it was it was interesting um I was, well, in my last season, I played was 21. Um, and there was times where I was the oldest player in the back line um, due to injury or other uh, effects. So I felt like that I was a little bit older um, and you know, really starting to build into a, a strong career with, um, I guess, the peak of my footballing ability still to come. Um, been a good pre-season up until... Uh, at that point, been working really hard on a lot of different things with, with Leper um, to try and keep on improving my game from a personal perspective, but also as a, as a leader as well. Um, so I, I guess there was a lot of momentum coming into that season. Um, it was one of the early match sims uh, after, after Christmas, went up for a marking contest. Um, you know... Went up, was slightly nudged from behind. I came down, was cleaned up, uh, and was out for for a minute. But, you know, I I went into that marking contest, uh, a professional footballer, Brisbane Lion, and afterwards, essentially, it was all over. Um, So that was a pretty big shift. Um, Fortunately, unfortunately, there was a lot of memory issues and a lot of, very unfortunately, um, there were a lot of memory issues and and concentration and and, uh, ongoing symptoms that resulted from that concussion that just meant that I I wasn't physically able to continue playing football. Um, And going into the, uh, from that period of, you know, I'll probably have a week or two off and come back to training. It'll be, you know, not the worst thing to, to have a little, Breather at the start of pre season really build into the season strongly. Um, into I still can't, still can't run, still can't concentrate, still have to be in a a, a dark room. Um, two months later, and so went through some neuro, um, neuropsychological testing that sort of indicated that my short and medium term memory was significantly impacted. Um, and you know, I hadn't really. Recovered much at all. Uh, my concentration was atrocious. Uh, it was, I think, it was meant to be a three-hour uh, test, and it took me maybe four or five weeks to actually get through it. Um, so I guess when I got the results back from that, it was pretty clear that the footballing career was was done. And uh, I'd been quite strong on doing a subject uh, a semester while while playing, um, you know, for a multitude of reasons, but. Uh, I guess there was a, a relatively easy transition into going down that pathway, but yeah, it was it was a tough period. Um, going to the the press, co- the press conference in particular, uh, where I announced my retirement, was it was especially difficult um, because, as I said, like you know, that was probably the the, the official moment where my career ended. Um, but you know, you you drive to, to that presser, you fully kit it up in your Brisbane lines gear, um, and you leave knowing that that section of your life is done. Um, so, yeah, it was it was pretty intense, um, but yeah, I was so fortunate compared to, to others that I had a pretty clear direction in, in to which I was going to push into and, and try and continue on with my my search for. The, you know, doing
0: something with my life. I think um, it's a really, yeah, as you say, you were fortunate in some senses, you were horribly unlucky in others, but concussion is such a, a part of the game, unfortunately, and in a lot of contact sports, and it's something that has such a huge, huge impact on, on, on a lot of people. And as you say, you could find some footballers who have nothing else going on outside of AFL, and if they were to be faced with, a challenge like you were then they might really fall into and I, I and I as you've touched on there you would have had some really challenging periods but some people don't have anything to fall back on and and you mentioned briefly but you were attending university throughout your career you went on and finished your your undergraduate after retiring and um, that sort of led you on the path to where you are now in the UK and at Oxford so talk a little bit about the academic side of things because I think that was something even throughout the career you clearly always held on to and maintained as a very important part of your life.
1: Yeah um, and that was definitely instilled uh, from my family. Um, I'm the youngest of four and mum and dad were both big on doing well at school and um, trying to pursue your uh, interests to the best of your ability Um, and having family members that uh, did variety of interesting um yeah went into a variety of different fields and and doing really interesting things it sort of was quite easy for me to follow in their footsteps and and try and learn as much as I could because that's what I enjoyed doing um yeah so just briefly going back to the uh university side of things at the beginning it was quite easy to because I had issues with concentration and memory um, I could structure my weeks around my university commitments because I knew that if I went to a lecture uh, on the Monday, then uh, I'd probably be wiped out for the Tuesday and sort of that'd be a really quiet day, but then I'd have something scheduled for the, for the Wednesday. So you could just step through the recovery process um, on the basis of having that schedule, um, which helped me massively. Uh, and didn't give me that much time to, to think too much um, because I was just working so hard to to get to my next commitment or get up for the next lecture that I had so that I could try and remember some of it. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed undergrad at, at UQ. Um, so uh, took up rowing um, and got involved with a little bit of uni life. Um, but yeah, I really found a passion in aerospace. And I was able to pursue an interest that I'd had from quite a young age in, in aviation and, and other um, fields, like uh, really enjoyed maths and physics. So I was able to extend that, um, those areas and really push for, uh, for further knowledge, which is something that I love doing. Um, so it was just a pretty natural progression to, to pursue that. Uh, as, yeah, to the best of my abilities and progressed to a point where uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get a, a Rhodes Scholarship to come over here and, and study um, my PhD over here in the hypersonics group um, at Oxford. So incredibly fortunate to be able to really pursue that career path um, given everything that happened.
0: And I think um, as you've touched on there, given everything that happened, You managed to use like academics and your your endeavour to sort of learn and take in new knowledge as a way to structure your weeks around your recovery and sort of work those two things in tandem. Um, But the concussion, that wasn't sort of the first and only major career setback I think you had to come back from because if I'm not mistaken, Justin, you have a pilot's licence and tried to join the Air Force at one point too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was a little... I think that was your ten or year eleven, year eleven most likely. I think I was, I was too tall. Um, yeah, which is one of those unfortunate things. It would have been incredible to go down that path, but life has many sliding doors moments. Um, you know, as evidenced by me being here now. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened if I had been a couple of centimeters shorter? Than what half my my life would have uh, taken, but uh, it's one of those things that you just sort of roll with the punches, or, or they may not even be punches in the end. Um, you just sort of go with the flow a little bit and, and see where things take you. Um, if there's opportunity there, I'll sort of just try to take it and run with it to the best of my ability.
0: The fickle existence of someone who's six foot five, where your height is seen as a disadvantage <laughs> one moment and then. A couple of months later, you're getting scouted for a professional career and something else, you know, because of your build and your height and your size. Um, it's quite funny that way as someone myself who's sort of the run of the mill 5'11", <laughs> no one's ever looked at my physical attributes as a positive or a negative. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely advantages. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like that 5'11", you have to be such a good footballer to... To go further because um, statistically there's more
0: people i say my range. career ended in year 12 when i i ruptured my acl and did my knee but in all honesty i never had anywhere near enough talent was never gonna <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving back onto you justin we've touched on a little bit the here and now but let's get into it slightly deeper you are at oxford doing your phd mm-hmm. Um, What's your PhD, what's your doctorate that you're studying specifically? So engineering,
1: uh, engineering science is the the broad church of what I'm I'm doing, Um, but I'm within the hypersonics group uh, here, um, specifically looking at computational simulations of shock tunnels, and shock tunnels are are used to experimentally mimic um, atmospheric entry typically, so Making really high speed entry into Earth or Mars. Um, you want to be able to uh, simulate that environment or mimic that environment as best as you can uh, on ground before you start shooting rockets off into space. Um, so it's pretty cool. We, we sort of, uh, the group gets flows up to Mark 11, I think we've got some uh, flows going. So 11 times the speed of sound. So really, really high speed, high energy um really cool cool work that goes on here so you know, to be to be here to be learning from some of the, the best is such a cool opportunity and so much fun to to you know try and learn as much as i can off, off some of these guys
0: I'm glad you put that in layman's terms for me because uh, <laughs> up until you really explained everything, I, I obviously understood exactly what you're saying, but maybe some of the listeners yeah, might have needed <laughs> uh, some help. No, but that, that does sound really, really interesting. But Oxford, the, the doctorate's not the only thing you're doing out there. As we said, you are the coach of Oxford Uni's women's AFL team, um, mm-hmm. which had some success recently. How's the season been going and uh, how did you guys go with the Fitzpatrick Cup, the first sort of major Uni event of 2022.
1: Yeah, so Fitz, Fitzpatrick Cup was a was a massive success for us um, and something that was exciting to see. We played a few annual games beforehand, so we sort of had a bit of an understanding that we should be should be um, quite competitive. Um, but it's just so exciting to see the development of the group, where we're um, you know developing our skills, but also developing our game understanding. Uh, More broadly as well, so we're starting to get some handle chains and and really um, play some nice footy. So it's really fun to see that development um, and be just along for the ride. Really, Um, there's uh, plenty of potential in the group and uh, they have so much fun. So it's just nice to be a part of it and and nice to be around a football environment.
0: And what's your approach been like to the role? Because I know someone who has experience at the highest level of AFL in Australia to come over, the women's game itself is developing, but the sport is also developing here in the UK. So it's quite a different environment, albeit still, you know, Australian rules, but the environment itself has changed. So how did you approach your role?
1: Yeah, I guess uh, even at the highest level, um, the fundamentals are the same. So being able to mark, gig and handball well, uh practiced a lot um because you know that's what you need to be able to um, to implement the broader strategy uh, so i guess the skills stay the same and just trying to bring it in in, a, in as enjoyable manner as possible um is important because it's a social environment people are there for the community um and uh, it's in, an incredibly welcoming environment and i want to maintain that and, and try and help facilitate that as much as possible. So um, I guess the, the fundamental skills stay the same um, and just trying to hone them as much as possible so that we can you know, just slowly uh, bring in more complexities as we progress with that development. But um, yeah, it's, it's been a fun fun journey and I'm quite excited to see how we Keep progressing. Um, I think the other the other aspect is uh, just how contact is integrated into the game as well, just from the players that are new and never played football before, making sure that they're in situations at training so that they can understand um, what they need to do to, to keep themselves um, not necessarily safe, but, you know, be able to play the game in a manner that uh, is enjoyable for them, uh, and there's no need to to panic. So, um, being able to put people in that position so that they can go, oh, I know, I know what's what this is all about before they actually play the game is something that I guess we've tried to work on. Hopefully, um that's been able to flow through to our our games.
0: Yeah, well, it's certainly working thus far. I mean, winning the Fitzpatrick Cup is, is not a bad way to start the the coaching career. Your, your tenure with the Oxford uni women's team it's it's certainly a positive uh way to start but looking to the future what's on the horizon for you in coaching capacity
1: big big games coming up uh we've got annual uh tomorrow uh against Birmingham and Cambridge but the week after is one of the big big fixtures for us uh with the varsity game against Cambridge um so I think at this stage we'll be playing 16 aside uh on a slightly larger ground so that's incredibly exciting for the group should be great great day hopefully the conditions uh aren't too wet and windy um but it's uh incredibly exciting for the group to to play with that many people on a bit more space um and then looking further afield i think we've got uh, a trip to amsterdam coming up for the, the european championship um yeah, which is also extremely exciting, and I know the group is pretty pumped to be able to go on a bit of a tour uh, and see see what uh, some of the best teams in Europe uh, are like, and see what we can learn from
0: them. The uh, Oxford Cambridge varsity grudge match is sort of the oldest rivalry in mm. Aussie rules here in the UK. So there's always a little bit of pressure surrounding it. Are you willing to reveal any insight into how you are going to approach the game and your expectations? Cause I know you, you got them at the Fitzpatrick cup, but 16 aside, bigger ground. There's a few bigger, yeah. variables. There's a lot of
1: variables. Yeah. A lot of variables. Uh, it'll be uh, really interesting to see how both teams adapt and, um, you know, what, what lineups get put out. Um, I think it'll be really, uh, I really hope the conditions are good so that some good footy can get played um, because I think it would be nice to showcase just how far we've come. Um, But if it needs to be contested wet weather footy, then I think that we'll be um, adept at changing and adapting to those conditions.
0: And speaking of playing some good footy, uh, it was announced publicly yesterday that you are taking on the role of coach for the Australian Spirit at the upcoming ADZAC Cup, which takes place uh, in April at the small French town of villers Bretno, which is a connection to the Australian Armed Forces, which sort of retook the town back in 1918 after the German intrafi- infantry excuse me, overtook it. Uh, and ever since, um, since I think about, I think this is maybe the seventh or eighth year, there's been a game between the French National Aussie rules side and the Australian Spirit side. You'll be coaching the Australian Spirit Talk to us a little bit about that that honour and what that means to you.
1: Yeah, uh, an incredible uh, honour and opportunity. Um, uh, I've visited Phils Bretner a, a couple of times. best um, in 2009 and more recently as well. And uh, it's an important, important day um, and something that is going to be an incredible experience i'm sure for for the group as a whole um and really important that we um understand what it's all about and and really recognize um the, the journey and the sacrifice of the people who've made um, i think that that going there once you are in those cemeteries and um also in the town and interacting with with locals, you, you begin to appreciate just, yeah, the, the magnitude of, of what happened and, and how it still uh, resonates through to today, but also its greater significance as well um, in terms of ongoing um, and more recent conflicts uh, and recognising those as well. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, being able to play on Anzac Day in Wellington was uh, incredible Um Uh, we had some Vietnam veterans come through and and talk to us and it was really really interesting talking about their experiences and um, listening to to their their stories and what the day meant to them um so yeah I think to be a part of it will be really exciting and, and I'm also excited to to see what the French national team is like um and and hear what uh, their thoughts are, what their experiences have been. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, just um, continue to, to promote uh, strong Australian-French relationships.
0: There are no pushovers, the French side. They're, they've got us a couple of years. So, um, yeah, I don't expect uh, an easy little walkover. They will bring some, some A-grade footy. Um, but as someone, as you said, Justin, you've had that Anzac Day experience in Wellington. You've been to villas Bretno a few times. You're sort of very aware of the significance of the town and and the, the Anzac Cup itself. What's the message you might be delivering to your players in that Australian spirit squad where maybe it's sort of their first time experiencing Anzac Day and things of such significance, I suppose. Not their first Anzac Day experience, but their first one in this capacity and uh, mm. with such meaning behind it.
1: Yeah, I guess it's understanding... Um... Who you're representing, um, and for each player that will be, be different. Uh, I think it's quite an interesting process and a, a really good process that applicants go through to be um, selected as part of the team in terms of uh, having a connection and, and understanding um, the significance of Anzac Day. Um, I think it's, it's always important and uh, to understand that the, the day is not a celebration that it's a commemoration um and so the, there's that that focus on it and that football isn't life or death um there's there's no need for hyperbole or any of that type of stuff it's it's about um in our way uh, acknowledging and acknowledging and um representing ourselves and, and what we stand for in as best way as possible. Uh, so that, that can be shown in the way that we play in the way that we engage with the Dawn service, the way that we engage with the, the local Hills Breton community um, and sort of really trying to get as much out of it from, from that perspective um, as it is with the footballing perspective as well. So it's, uh, understand the greater significance of of everything that's going
0: on i think the term spirit is very apt for the for that weekend coming up because it's not just the game it is also the dawn Mm. service and clinics for for children within the town and spreading afl but also spreading you know the spirit of of the game the spirit of those who lost their lives way back in 1918 and, and in general just trying to encourage um commemorating what happened and and learning from it and maintaining and and promoting good relationships and things like that going forward. Finally, now, having been here for a little bit of time and and, and sort of gotten, um, you know, learned the ropes of your role and gotten used to life here in the UK, what's the biggest surprise you've had about footy, not only in the UK, but footy in Europe. Um, and Mm -hmm. why is it something you've engaged with and you want to promote over here?
1: Uh, there's probably a couple of things that have surprised me a little bit, particularly for I think Birmingham in particular, uh, was the number of uh, non-Australians that were playing, which was incredibly exciting. I was really um, excited to hear that uh, and sort of see the excitement around the j and team and um, you know, we've got a few players that are part of that squad. Uh, and it's really exciting to see them be a part of that um so i really enjoy watching the development from that that sort of things uh probably the standards surprised me positively it's quite a good standard um it'll be interesting to go to to the to amsterdam and see what stands like there uh and maybe i think some of the summer stuff where the london teams um start really swinging into gear it'll be really interesting to see what they're like. But, um, I guess everyone enjoys having that sense of community and sporting clubs offer that around the world um, irrelevant of, of sport. oh uh, Yeah, so it was just a, an easy way to, to come straight into a welcoming community uh, and have that feeling like it's it's not too far from home. Um, everything's going to be okay. We've got a, you know, a nice group of people that immediately uh, – you know, becoming your friends, uh, and as I said, doesn't matter what sport. Uh, but I think that Australian football, in particular, has a, a strong emphasis on that, and it's especially evident over here.
0: Yeah, I think um, that was my experience too. Having, you know, recently engaged with 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 AFL Europe and the community, it is incredibly welcoming and incredibly social. But um, yeah, the the level of competition, surprising a few, I think it's really really beginning to build out here. And as you say, it's not all expats and aussies abroad there's it's full of um footballers from all over europe and i think even in the uk that's maybe where the australians are most centralized in the the footy community and if you go further out into europe there's less of us there and it's just some really good uh, european footballers that are born and bred in europe so that's really really exciting um justin thanks so much for your time today i appreciate you sitting down and joining the podcast first guest of 2022 in the books um you've been great and all the best for the the year ahead with oxford and with the doctorate thanks joe appreciate being on no worries i look forward to catching up with you uh in france for the 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 anzac anzac cup that's really really exciting so um all the best and just like that the first episode of the afl europe podcast for 2022 comes to an end i've been your host joe Thank you so much to Justin Clark for joining us and thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and it would be super, super helpful if you enjoyed the show if you could leave us a review for it as well. We hope to catch you on the next one and thanks again for tuning in.